Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious God, we have heard of the beauty and the wonder of the resurrection of Jesus. And we pray that you would bring that into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds this morning. That as the disciples rejoiced, that we would rejoice. That we would be changed, that we would be renewed, that we would draw near to you, Father, on account of what Jesus has done for us and in us. And we ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And so here we are, here at the near the beginning of the Easter season. As I said earlier, it's the second Sunday of Easter, and every second Sunday of Easter, we read this gospel passage. It's rare that you have a gospel passage that occurs every single year of our church lectionary, of our reading lectionary. But here is one of those times where you have the same gospel reading for year A, year B, and year C for each year of the cycle. For all three years, we hear about Jesus appearing to his disciples according to the Gospel of John. We hear about Thomas and his doubt. We hear about the Spirit being poured out upon the disciples in what you might call a mini Pentecost moment for the disciples of them being officially declared to be the apostles of Christ. And so we hear about it year after year after year and it's easy to think like, oh, well, what do I say this year? But knowing Scripture in and of itself, we know that Scripture is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is inspired, and so there's depths of this that will be plumbed year after year. One place will be dug down into, and another place the next year, and another, another year. And so we're grateful that we get to walk through this passage so often, once a year, to reflect and to consider what it is that God is bringing to us, what it is He's trying to imprint upon us, what He's trying to tell us this day. And on this day, one of the things that jumped out at me is so often that jumps out at me at the very top of all of it was that knowing the peace of God through Jesus Christ changes us completely. That when the peace of God comes to us through Jesus, we will be changed, we will be refreshed, we will be renewed because we'll come to see that that peace can only be ours in Jesus. That it can only be ours on account of what Jesus has done and accomplished through the cross and through his resurrection. That here in these last few weeks, it seems that everything I do always draws me back to the end of Romans 4, where Paul speaks of Jesus dying for our sins, being crucified for our sins, and being raised for our justification. That they, they go together. But they have different aspects. Each aspect of Jesus' work has something new to teach us. And I keep coming back to that reality that the death deals with our sins and His resurrection brings about our acquittal. It brings about that declaration that we have been made not guilty, that we not only in fact are made not guilty, but we are given the necessary righteousness from Jesus. Because in His resurrection, He then draws near to us to unite Himself to us. That when we are baptized, we become united to His death and His resurrection in order that we would be changed completely. And this all begins for us in John 20, chapter, verse 19. Then on that first day of the week, we hear about the absolution of peace. 
we hear about Jesus absolving his disciples. For his disciples were fearful of the Jews. The disciples had hidden themselves away, probably in that same upper room where they had their last supper together. And now that Jesus had been crucified, and now that they had discovered that his tomb was empty, for after all, Mary Magdalene and the other women had gone and seen it, and they went back to tell the disciples, with Mary eventually encountering Jesus later, face to face. But Peter and John ran to the tomb in that famous little story about John beating Peter there, though Peter started there first. And they see that the tomb is empty, but they don't understand. They just go back. And they don't know what's going on. They don't understand, but they are fearful of the Jews still. They were overcome. And that makes sense. After all, the Romans and the Jewish leaders had put Jesus to death. And here, these followers of Jesus were fearful. They were afraid of what might happen to them next. They were afraid that they would come and assault them, come and lay hands on them and take them away. But instead, even in the midst of their fear of hiding, what happens? John tells us just bluntly and distinctly, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. The disciples are locked in their room. They are locked in the house. The doors are locked. No one can get in, and yet here Jesus is in the midst of them, coming and standing there and speaking His word of peace, His absolution of peace to them. And it's beautiful because on the night that He was betrayed, the last night that they spent with Him before His crucifixion, before His arrest, He spoke that very peace to them. He said, I will give you my peace, my peace I give to you. And so it's a peace that only Jesus can give, and here He bookends that event. Here they are probably in that very same room where he spoke that word to them about offering them and giving to them peace. And here he comes and just simply says, peace be with you. Peace, that beautiful, beautiful word from the whole of Scripture. What is peace? It's not merely the cessation of war, but it is a complete stillness, a complete comfort. All things being made proper and put in place. Peace is about God and man being reconciled, the Creator reconciling Himself to creation and creation being reconciled in return to its Creator. That is the peace that Jesus brings here in this moment, a perfect reconciliation, a completion of all things, bringing all of creation and His people back to Himself, for He has been reconciled. The Father has been reconciled to us through the work of Jesus, and thus we can be reconciled in receiving that very peace that God has given. Peace be with you, Jesus says to them, and then He immediately shows them His hands and His side. He shows them the wounds that He has endured in order to create that peace, to bring that peace about. And the disciples react and are released to joy. That absolution of peace overcomes their fear and brings to them joy. Seeing Jesus in the flesh right there before them, seeing His hands and His side offered to them, they rejoice. They are exuberant. They are changed. Not only is the tomb empty for them, not only is the tomb truly empty, but Jesus has actually risen from the dead, something that is utterly and completely unfathomable to them. After all, that's what we heard about last week, that unexpected resurrection that no one expected one man to be raised up into new glorious life. 
into immortal life, into eternal life the way that Jesus had. Almost all of the Jews of their day were expecting a general resurrection that at the end before all things were judged or in the midst of all things being judged, that resurrection of the dead would happen. But they didn't expect one man to break into this old, broken down creation with that new life. They didn't expect one person to rise up with the life that the righteous would receive at the end. And so it was shocking. It was undoing everything they understood about reality. But yet here they see him face to face and they rejoice for they realize they were wrong. They realize and begin to understand everything that Jesus had been telling them and teaching them these past three years, especially in these last few months as they traveled down to Jerusalem after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus began teaching that He would have to go to Jerusalem to die, to suffer and be crucified, but yet He would be raised on the third day. And the disciples didn't understand it, but here they finally begin to grasp it. And as we learn from Luke, Jesus then turns and opens the Scriptures to them that they would understand even more deeply. For one of the things we I forget often is that John here is focusing on the primary disciples, the apostles right there in that upper room. But there were some others there with them too. There were others who heard this peace, who were given this peace. And so it reminds us that that absolution of peace flows out to each and every one of us. That it comes down to us through Jesus, through hearing His Word, through embracing His Word, through resting in His Word. But it comes from Jesus and He brings it to us for us to receive. And so these men who had abandoned Jesus, who had been arrested, who had ran away at the last moment when He was arrested, they are forgiven. They are granted the peace of God Himself to them because that is what Jesus has done. He makes clear the reality that forgiveness brings peace and that that has thus been accomplished. If peace can be given from God, then that which destroyed the peace that existed once before has been dealt with. If peace is here, then forgiveness is here and sin has been dealt with. And in Jesus being with His disciples, He looks to them. I think, in my mind, I kind of picture Him taking the ten aside and beginning to speak to them about something else. And he says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the sins from any, it is withheld. Here Jesus gives to them the spirit of forgiveness. He breathes on them his Holy Spirit. He pours upon them His Spirit. As I said, this is like a little mini Pentecost occurring right here where Jesus speaks to His apostles and He declares them to be apostles. Even as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He is preparing them to now go out and be His ambassadors, to go out and be His preachers, His ministers, His pastors, that they would go out and speak this word of peace that they have received that they then would go out and spread that peace abroad by preaching forgiveness, by carrying forth the spirit of forgiveness. And here we hear that He breathed on them. 
He blows air upon them. I love how this language of Greek and Hebrew, they play with that word breathe. They play with that so often because the word for spirit in both languages means wind or breath too. It has all three meanings and it just depends on the context. And so sometimes the writers play with that. And so here we hear a little bit of playfulness from John of Jesus breathing and telling them to receive the breath of God, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the wind that has been set apart to bring life. There was another time where God breathed on someone. It was on the sixth day of creation when he put together Adam and brought him together from the dust of the earth, and Yahweh breathed upon him and gave him the spirit of life. In in Yahweh breathing on Adam, he came to life. He gave him life from nothingness, simply by breathing his spirit upon him. And that was on the eve of creation's loss, you might say. Right there on that day before all things fell, before God rested and at some later point, Creation fell because of Adam's sin. God breathed on Adam and gave him life. He brought him to life with but a breath. And here, the eve of creation's renewal. Jesus, the Son of God, God's representative on earth, God Himself, for Jesus is very God from very God. He looks at His disciples and He breathes life into them. He pours His Spirit into them and He gives them not old life, but new life. Here at this eve of creation's renewal, He breathes new life into His disciples that they would become partakers of that new creation that Jesus is bringing about and commissions them to then carry that new creation into the world. And that new creation begins with the forgiveness of sins. It begins with receiving what Jesus has done upon the cross, receiving that forgiveness that you would then enter into peace with Him. And that's what the disciples are called to do. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Here, the apostles are given the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. They're given that ability to proclaim forgiveness or to withhold forgiveness. They're given the ability to preach what God has done through Jesus Christ to deal with sin. And all those who receive it, who look at that as the truth, And realize it is truth. They receive that forgiveness and they pronounce forgiveness to them. But those who reject it, those who resist it, those who turn away and and push away the grace of God from their lives, their sins become retained. Their forgiveness is withheld because they cannot receive it without faith. As John will go on to later say in his epistle, what has overcome this world? Our faith. By faith we receive the work of Jesus into us. That spirit of forgiveness comes to us and renews us that we would then have faith. But if we don't act, if we don't respond with faith, then that forgiveness doesn't do anything for us yet. The reconciliation that God has created between Himself and us does not reconcile us to the Father because we do not respond to His goodness and His mercy. And that is what the disciples are doing here. They are responding. For they have received Joiced, for they have been overjoyed at the reality of Jesus being there in their midst and giving them His peace. And now He gives them His Spirit to seal them and to send them forth with the preaching of peace and forgiveness to all who will hear it. 
But for those who resist it and don't want anything to do with it, that forgiveness is withheld until they turn in faith, until they receive the reality of what God has done, the working of His Spirit in them. And we see a bit of a picture of that in this overcoming of doubt that occurs next. St. John points out that Thomas, one of the twelve, was not there. He wasn't with them when Jesus first showed up. We don't know where he was. We don't know what's going on. But I always have to remind myself not to be too hard on Thomas. What happened right before they went to Jerusalem? They went to Bethany and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. All the disciples were convinced if he did that, then Jesus would be put to death. And Thomas, being bold, stood up, well, if he's going to go and be put to death, then let us go and die with him. He had a faith that thrust him forward to not fear death. Now that faith faltered on the night that Jesus was arrested, but let's remember that he had a strong faith. He was willing to follow Jesus to Jerusalem and die at one point, at one moment. And yes, he faltered because we all falter. We all fall down. And that's what happened to all the disciples. No matter what, even in Peter on that night of Jesus being arrested, said, I'll never deny you and Just a few hours later, he denies him three times. He turns away from Jesus three times and says he does not know him. But Jesus comes to overcome doubt. He comes to overcome our unbelief. For the disciples begin preaching to Thomas what they heard, what they saw, what they felt, what they received. They said the Lord has been seen. We have seen the Lord. I'm sure there were many other things, but that is the summation of it. We have seen the Lord, but Thomas says... Unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger in them, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. I will not believe. I cannot believe. And of course, better understanding the context of just the idea of one man being raised from the dead like this, I can understand a bit more deeply why he would suddenly say, I can't believe this. This is too fantastic. This is too fanciful. This is too imaginary. That one man could rise from the dead and The only way I'll believe it is if I see his hands and the marks and his side and the mark there. That I'll believe that this is really Jesus you've seen risen from the dead. So I'm assuming that they had told him that we have seen Jesus in his original body. We have seen Jesus in his body that he walked with us. It's not a ghost. And so Thomas knows that if it is Jesus, he'll have the marks of salvation upon him. He'll have those marks in his hand and upon his side. And here, a week later, the disciples are gathered together again. Even with this doubting Thomas, even with this Thomas who is unsure, who cannot believe. And once more, although the doors were locked, but notice that John does not say for fear of the Jews, the doors are simply locked. Jesus suddenly appears and stands in their midst once more, bringing that absolution of peace. Peace be with you. And he looks to Thomas and says, put your finger in my hand and see. Put your hand in my side and believe. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And here in that moment, Jesus overcomes Thomas's doubt. Thomas looks to him and declares, My Lord and my God. This is not some blasphemous exclamation that he is saying here. But he is looking at Jesus and saying, You are my Lord and you are my God. You are the one and true Messiah. You are God Himself in the flesh. 
And it never says that Thomas touches him. I'm not sure that he did. I think he was so shocked and so in awe and so in surprise and overcome by the same joy that his fellow apostles felt the week before that he could only sit there and worship. That he could only sit there and look at his Lord and his God. His doubts being shattered and giving way to the true faith, to the Spirit renewing him, the Spirit dwelling with him, the Spirit commissioning him into doing the work of new creation on behalf of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I don't think Jesus is putting Thomas down because it was necessary for there to be people who see Jesus raised from the dead. But Jesus is pointing out, I think, for us to be reminded that here these men are the witnesses. Those women who saw Jesus are witnesses of his resurrection. And they have written it down for us that we wouldn't have to see him. That yet, hearing these words, having the Spirit work in us, we would come to faith that we would believe without seeing And there is a blessing in that reality, a blessing in trusting what God has done. Because God has drawn near to us to change us and to renew us, to make us His own. And He overcomes our doubt. He releases us from doubt. He takes away our unbelief as we look to Him. Yes, we have to encounter Him. We have to draw near. We have to see Him through the Word, through faith, through trust. And we are changed. We are made one with Him. And we live in that oneness with Him as we draw near, as we receive from Him His grace and His goodness, His mercy and His love. As we know His peace, we are changed inside and out. Little by little, slowly, over time, because we all know that disciples continued, these apostles continued to make mistakes and to err here and there. We hear about Peter's great mess up, up in Antioch years and years and years later, where Paul has to confront him about that. Where he withdraws from the Gentiles who had believed and only stays with the believing Jews. And he has to be taught a lesson. He has to be reminded that this grace of God in Jesus Christ is for all men and it makes no distinctions. It calls all people to himself to trust and to believe in Jesus. Not to go through the Jewish ceremonial law anymore, but to come directly to the Father by Jesus Because Jesus has taken away that which has separated us. He has taken away that which destroyed the peace that once existed between the Creator and creation. And Jesus has reestablished a new kind of peace that is found in eternal life. Eternal peace that He Himself is, for He is the peace of God for us. And that peace of God that is Jesus changes us. As we are united to Him by faith and by baptism as we recall our baptisms, as we dwell in the new reality that we have been given, that we have been released into joy and we have received a spirit of forgiveness that can overcome our doubt, we will rest in Jesus. We will know that peace and be changed more and more and more. And so may we remember that as we are changed by that peace, we are called to faith. We are called to believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that that changes everything that that overcomes the world on our behalf, that we then can overcome the world through faith. We overcome the world through faith and trust in Jesus. We overcome sin in this world, the sin in ourselves through faith. We overcome that which would turn us away from the Father 
through faith because Jesus is the foundation of peace for us with the Father. Amen. And so may we know this peace of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. May we hear this absolution of peace truly for you, for me. That Jesus comes to us today and says, peace be with you, that we might be changed, that we might be released from doubt, that we might be released into new life. And to be released into the forgiveness that He has poured upon us, that we then would also go out and make that forgiveness known. That we would rejoice so exceedingly that we would say, we have seen the Lord. That we would rejoice in the peace that has been given through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.